This is the Aftermarket Radio Network. Welcome to another episode of Business by the Numbers. I'm your host, Hunt Emerest, CPA with Parmelis and Associates. Just this past weekend, I actually went down to Williamsburg to speak at the Virginia Automotive Association Conference, or they had their annual meeting. So just thanks again to Steve for inviting me down there. and had a really good time. Figured that might as well kind of use what I talked about there, because I think it's representative to a lot of shop owners out there. And it is, what do you really want out of your shop? The big talk was what I have learned from working with my clients for as long as I have and really what I can gather on the people that seem to do things right and retire peacefully and other ones that just can't seem to keep cash around. So before we get into that, I want to have a quick word from our partners who make business by the numbers possible. Hey, did you know Napatrax has on-site training plus six days a week support? It all starts when a local representative meets with you to learn more about your business and how you run it. After all, it's your shop, so it's your choice. Let us prove to you that Trax is the single best shop management system in the business. Visit them online at napatrax.com. That's N-A-P-A-T-R-A-C-S dot com. There might actually be the same definition, but kind of a reference that I always say a lot is a lot of people want to be rich, but no one ends up being wealthy or people are trying to look rich instead of actually being rich. And there was actually a study that came out recently when I was doing some research for this talk. And the study showed that the average American or more than half of Americans would rather look rich than actually be rich. And I think that that's probably the biggest thing that I've kind of gathered from a lot of uh, the years of doing this and looking at financials, both business and personal, is the people that you might think, you know, outwardly or you see them at conferences or you talk to them. The people that you think are rich generally are not the ones that I would consider wealthy or actually have money. However, the ones that look like that they make the most money might actually make the most money, but they aren't the best at spending it. And so I want to kind of dive into that a little bit. And for me, the differentiation is rich means that you make a lot of money. Wealthy means that you have a lot of money. And I wouldn't say that there is a relationship. And if there is any sort of relationship, it almost seems like there might be an inverse. My clients that make the most money, you know, $800 million a year in profit, but then they don't actually have two nickels to rub together. Whereas I have another client that may be maxed out at making six figures or about a hundred grand, but if they wanted to, they could retire when they're 50 years old because they are just good with their money. And the biggest thing that can come out of this and what I looked at is, all right, hon, if I don't actually make more money and or if I make more money, that actually isn't going to give me any more money to invest or do what I want with. So what can I take out of these lessons of looking at these shops? And I think that's the hardest part here is because the big issue that a lot of people think that is stopping them from, you know, taking stuff to the next level and getting to financial security, they think that that has to do with profits and making more money in the business. And I always say this, making money is is not very hard. Now, there's a lot of coaching companies out there that allow people to make more money. But if you want to really break it down, if you want to make more money, just work more than anyone else. Everyone uses the term work harder, not smarter or work smarter, not harder. See, even I got that backwards. But the big thing is, it's pretty simple. You want to make more money, bust your butt, give up a lot of things that you would normally want to do or spend time with and and seeing your family grow up and make a bunch of money. But no one wants to do that. People want to have money. They want to be able to have free time as well. And that's where this starts to get a little bit harder. 
even more so if you take a look at a lot of my clients that make a ton of money, it doesn't really matter if you spend just as much or even more. Imagine calling up a client and saying, all right, taxes are done for the year. You owe about a million or you made about a million dollars in net profit. We need to write a check to the government for about 300000 Now, if you would have made the estimates that we talked about when we did this last fall, you wouldn't have owed any money. Did you make your tax estimates? Well, no, I didn't. All right, so we're now going to owe this $300,000 now. What are we going to do to attack this? Do we have the cash to pay this? No, hon, I don't have the cash. So you're telling me that you made $800,000 last year, did not pay in any of the estimates that we talked about. So how much money do you have now that we could pay into the IRS? I think I have probably about $30,000. It might seem criminal. And for those of you that don't make this much money and are better with your cash, you might not even get it. But this is the normal sense. This is America in a nutshell. We live in a borrow first, pay later type philosophy. And that works on some things, but not taxes. And so imagine in that situation, how heartbroken even that client is to say, hey, I made all this money. I have nothing to show for it. And this is the most common problem is people just kind of get stuck in this cycle of, all right, money comes in, money goes out and also a ton of debt. And so we want to step back and kind of look at overall America and say, well, Hunt, how are people that have this much money broke? It's not actually that unusual. If you look, over half of the American population is living paycheck to paycheck. It's about 58%. Now, you might say, well, Hunt, there's a lot of people there that are barely making minimum wage. And that's really not the case. The numbers only go down slightly once we go over $100,000. And so it's about mid 40% or about 45% of Americans making over $100,000 a year are still living paycheck to paycheck. And what's even kind of more alarming is about a third of all Americans making over $200,000 are, again, still living paycheck to paycheck. And so this is probably the endemic problem that, you know, not just business owners, but America in general is, is they don't know what to do with their cash. Yeah, you're making more money, but if you're not smart with your personal finances, you just end up spending even more money or borrowing it or using it to pay down borrows that you've had in the past and don't have any more money to show for it, or any more money for retirement, or any more money for kids' college, savings, rainy day, you name it. It's kind of alarming, but like I said, I think this is the economy that America wants us to have set up. Take a look and you go on, you buy something online. Virtually any major website now will allow you to say, hey, put in your credit card, or hey, this is $45, how about you use a firm and break it up into six payments? The access to financing has made it so much easier. I mean, even looking at your shop right now, how many times have you had a customer come in and say, oh, I can't afford that repair. What are you going to offer to them? Hey, how about we finance that? Now, I don't think that you're doing this in a predatory way at all, right? You're trying to help this person out to make sure that they can get their vehicle fixed. For them personally, was there decisions that they should have made or maybe stuff that they should not have bought? Other than to take care of their, you know, only form of reliable transportation. Yeah, but there is an option out there to allow them to do this. You know, even if we back this up even more, we take a look at when you go and buy a car, the car salesman's never negotiating. Well, how much do you want to pay for this Ford Explorer? What are they going to say to you? What do you want your monthly payment to be? Oh, you want it to be under $500? All right, we can get it under $500. Most people are okay with that. Now, an educated consumer would take a look at that and say, all right, the way you were able to get this under $500 is you stretched out my payment terms to 96 months, which is going to give me about 12% interest. So most educated people would say, no way, I'm never going to do that. However, other people would say, okay, that allows me to get what I want and I can afford that monthly payment. 
Now, when I did this talk, I even ran the numbers on this and it made it a little bit scarier. So I'm going to kind of paraphrase this because it was a graphic and obviously podcasts are not that great for graphics. But the average American, depending on where you live, makes around $60,000 a year or around $5,000 per month. So if you make $5,000 per month and we're factoring in about 20% goes away to taxes, which is probably a little bit low in most states, that means that your take-home pay is around $4,000 a month. Now, if your take-home pay is $4,000 a month, the average American car payment for new cars is around $720 right now. So if the average person is taking home $4,000 and the average person is spending about 20% of that on just their car loan, of course they don't have any cash. Now, if we take this even a little bit further, the average house payment is around $1,500 a month. So coupled with the $700 month car payment, and then also the average American has around $500 a month credit card payment. If you look at it that way, almost two thirds of that money is already gone just making even very minor bill payments. So how are they going to have any money to set aside for reserves? How are they going to have any money to set money aside for retirement or investing? They just don't. The average American has no money. The average American doesn't have a lot of money. They also have a ton of debt. Think that the average credit card balance was around $7,000 at the time of doing this episode. An even scarier thing here is, is really to kind of see the way this has got even worse over the last couple of years. Now, why has that happened? The biggest things is obviously some of this was generated by COVID, which we'll talk about in a little bit, that has created the largest wealth disparity or the quickest rise that we've seen in the history of the when we've measured this. But also interest rates have been skyrocketing, which is going to make it harder and harder to pay back debt and also inflation. So the average wage has went up about one to two percent per year, where the average price has went up about six to seven every year for the last three years. Everyone has gotten poorer if they had not gotten a significant raise at their job or their investments. Let's face it. Your shop management system is the single most important tool in your shop, period. You need Napa Tracks because it integrates with all the major players, including Napa ProLink, PartsTech, OE RepairLink, Epicor, TireConnect, Mitchell One Pro Demand, and more. Napa Tracks has leading edge tools and technology that your shop needs right now. Unlike the other guys, we'll be there after your installation with the best training and support in the business. Your training includes a learning management system that is tailored to each role in your company. Simply put, Trax was designed and built for shop owners just like you. It all starts when a local representative meets with you to learn about your business to help optimize your shop's workflow, efficiency, and profitability. For over 30 years, Napa Tracks has made selecting the right shop management system easy by offering the best, most comprehensive SMS in the industry. After all, it's your shop, so it's your choice. Visit us on the web at napatracks.com. That's N-A-P-A-T-R-A-C-S dot com. Now, how can we avoid this? Or I guess, why does this even happen? You know, why have we created a system in America where the average consumer is getting less and less money? And if you look at it on the flip side, you know, the average corporation and wealthy investor is getting richer. The biggest thing I think is the lack of education. The lack of financial education that we see in our country is truly alarming. We learn about all different stuff in school, but we very rarely even learn about the basic economic principles of finance. Now, would it be more responsible and more important to learn the Pythagorean theorem when we're in school or maybe what compound interest is? 
Should we be learning about different history things or should we be learning a lot how credit card or introductory rates on credit cards work? But if you want to kind of look at this in a bit more of a cynical form, I truly do not think that people want or that corporations want the average consumer to be educated, right? An educated consumer doesn't say yes to any finance term that a dealership puts in front of them. An educated consumer is not going to borrow more money than they can ever afford to pay back on a credit card where they know they have no chance of ever, you know, truly repaying that plus interest. And even more so on here, if people really understood what they were signing up for when they got into a student loan, would they really sign up to go to that really expensive college and maybe even take longer to do that? How can we change this? Now, luckily, we live in a world where we are in the information age. There has been no time in the history of our country where there was so much free information that was an easy access to us. Obviously, you have stuff like this podcast and any a number of podcasts out there that are probably way more educational than mine, but there is a ton of good resources. The biggest thing that I always tell people, whether I'm talking about finances in general or stocks or accounting, because people always say, Hunt, why are you so good at this? How can you do this so quickly? I do it every day, all day, and I've done it for the better part of the last 15 years, right? Do you think when I started, I had any of this information? I mean, I always had kind of a basic understanding of numbers, but you have to do this and you have to start from somewhere, you know, learning a new skill. And if we're going to talk about, you know, finance and money, it's just like any other skill. If you want to learn a guitar, are you going to pick up the guitar and immediately play like Jimi Hendrix? No, you're going to start, you're going to get some, you know, basic chords in, you're going to start stringing those together and then you start moving on. And learning anything or learning finances, accounting and and interest rates and investing is the exact same way. And I always tell my clients, you got to walk before you run. Hey, Hunt, what about this, this and this? Hey, you're now jumping ahead to 301. You're never going to understand that until you can get 101 down. So start on the basic stuff. Start learning stuff. And the scariest part about this is when you start learning, just like any new skill, the first thing you're going to realize is, wow. I knew even less than I thought, or maybe some of my preconceived notions that I've learned or picked up along the way aren't even the right course of actions. But the biggest thing here is, you know, if you do have kind of a mentor or something that you get your information from, make sure that their interests or their goals are the same as what you're trying to do, right? A lot of times I see people kind of being misled by someone, not trying to do something, you know, nefarious or trying to lead them astray, but their mindset just doesn't match up with my clients, Let's say that you don't want to work forever. You want to kind of set up a passive investment stream that's going to allow you to kind of take a step back and not work to your 70 years old. That's great, but you need to be following along with someone with that same mindset because the way that you live your life and the way that you even choose your investments is going to be drastically different than someone that maybe has a W-2 job and has a boss and has a lot more restrictions on their time. Going into your personal finances and not only getting educated about this, But just overall, how you carry your personal finances is drastically different. I have a client, obviously not going to mention him here. Hopefully he listens to this podcast, but it's probably about five or six years ago. And he called me up and said, Hunt, I'm done with this business. Now, if I had a dollar for every single time a client called me up and said, I'm done, I'm walking away, I'm selling, I'd probably be a very rich man. I get it. You know, I'm self-employed myself. Some days it's nice. I always tell people I would never work for someone else. I can no longer be an employee. But also being self-employed is something that a lot of people don't understand, right? Obviously, the ceiling is very high for what you can do. You can make it whatever you want, but also every the buck stops at you. And so it's very hard. It's very stressful. I get it. 
So my client was having one of those days or one of those weeks and calls me up and says, "Hun, I'm done, right? What kind of my options here? Because I'm thinking about just closing down the shop, maybe even selling the building. So to live with my client, great business, not a very big business, but a great business. You know, it, it works like clockwork on it doesn't have to be there every single day. And at its peak, probably generating maybe 100000 maybe $120,000 of profit or income to my client on a given year. So I said, hang on there. You're really just going to close your shop down? I mean, it's not like this shop is worth millions of dollars, but hundreds of thousands of dollars. And what he said to me really kind of opened my eyes because this was one of the biggest examples that I'd ever seen of, hey, how much I thought this person had versus what they really did was drastically different. So I said, how are you going to just close this down? You know, your business is worth something and you're not very old. You're kind of in your early 50s. You know, what is your plan? Because I've also had a lot of people in that situation. Hun, I'm done. I'm walking away. And then we start doing the math after they sell and pay the taxes on it. They don't have that money that they thought to ride off into the sunset. So he said, Hunt, building's paid off. My house is paid off. I have about six rental properties that are all paid in full. I've been maxing out my retirement. So in a couple of years, I can start pulling out of my retirement. Probably another seven years, I'll be able to access Social Security as well. Between all my investment sources, I should be able to make just as much money as I'm making right now and really live in perpetuity because that's not even draining any of my reserves. That's just from the cash flow from my investments. And I looked at them and I said, all right, I got to be honest with you. I'm surprised and I want to kind of know your secret here. What allowed you to do this where I have so many clients that have made 10 times as much as you have, don't have anything to show for this and have to keep on working because they don't have an option. And what he told me was pretty eye-opening because it was very simple. He said, Hunt, we live below our means. We had a certain budget. We stuck to it. Now, did we make sacrifices? Yeah. We've never had the biggest house, probably one of the smaller house when you compare kind of our friends and our kids' friends. We didn't go on every single vacation. When we did go on vacation, we kind of made sure it was reasonable and nothing that was out of control. And we just made sure that we were just very financially responsible. Those of you that were looking for a get-rich-quick scheme or some sort of angle that my client found uh, a loophole just wasn't there, right? It's very basic. It was, hey, I spent less than I brought in. I made sure that I had a certain budget every single month and I set that money aside and I saved for it. And yes, the instant gratification, the short-term kind of rewards from making that much money, maybe he didn't truly get to enjoy all of that, but who's having a last laugh? Now, my client ended up getting over that and ended up keeping his business, but he's made sure to still keep his flexibility because he's in the driver's seat. He is still doing this. He is still working because he wants to. But at any point, if he really felt like it, he could walk away. You know, and people always use the expression money doesn't buy happiness, which is very true, right? Meet some very wealthy people or rich people. They're generally not the happiest people. However, people that need money are generally not that happy either. And what money gives you is money gives you options. Hey, if you have $50 million, is that necessarily going to make you a happy person? No, right? Not off the bat. But does $50 million allow you to wake up and do whatever you want every single day for the rest of life if you wanted to? Sure. And so at that point, if you are not happy, it's not because the money's not making you happy. It's because you didn't find happiness in your life. And so what I'm trying to get to here is the magic secret here. The big thing of how do you get this financial freedom is to stop spending money. It's that simple. And really, that's the hardest part about my job of what I do is I can educate people. I can educate you on your financials. I can educate you on how investing works. 
but I can't make your decisions for you, right? A lot of people's own decisions are the biggest things that is actually making them broke. And is this something saying never go out and borrow money, never go out and buy lunch? No, because those sort of things are really short of short term and silly, right? Because at the end of the day, we got to be happy. So you can't cut all of the joy out of your life, but maybe you don't need everything. Maybe you're looking on Facebook and you see that one of your friends just bought a brand new car. You said, hey, I want a brand new car too, right? Be very careful who you're comparing yourself to. Maybe they make more money than you. Maybe they don't make smart financial moves. And so instead of telling yourself of, hey, they got a new car and I didn't or I couldn't be like, hey, I chose not to. Because instead of doing that, I went and I put some money into a savings account or you know what? That was the money that I would have used for a down payment that I'm going to use to max out my retirement. Again, just like my client in the short term, that's not going to be fun. You can't drive a 401k, but maybe 20, 30 years down the road when you're ready to retire, aren't you going to feel pretty good that you have the money to do so? And that friend with a brand new Escalade might still be working. Now, how do you stop spending more money? Now, it's not in an absolute sense. And by being self-employed, we have a unique aspect here. And what I talk about is your personal ratio. And so the personal ratio or the golden ratio here that is very important is how much money do you make and how much money do you spend, right? And so there's two ways to make yourself wealthier, right? And to keep more of this money. You can either increase the numerator, which is make more money, or you can decrease the denominator or start cutting costs and budgeting your life. Everyone is always focused on job number one. No one is focused on job number two because job number two is uncomfortable. It's So if you say, oh man, I don't have enough money to keep up with my lifestyle. That's when you go out and you hire a coaching company. Hey, I need to take my business to this. I need to take my sales to that. I need to take my net profit from 200000 to 400000 because that's going to give me an extra $200,000 I can invest all of that money. However, what we end up seeing, though, is that person spending two hundred and making two hundred, they now make four hundred. How much do you think that they're spending? Four hundred. This is the big thing that I see a lot of people get caught in the rat race because they just are on this revolving cycle of make more money, spend more money, make more money, spend more money. And now the joy of being self-employed is you have that flexibility. You have the ability to do so. But it doesn't really matter whether you're making 200 and spending 200 or making a million and spending a million. Yeah, your lifestyle is going to look different, but you still are not building wealth because that ratio is still one to one. You're spending everything that comes in. And for a lot of Americans, you're spending even more because that's debt or paying down old debt. So making sacrifices and, you know, sacrifices in the short term for long term is a hard thing. Right. And a lot of people are just naturally not used to spending. So how do you even or naturally not used to saving? So how do you start saving? Right. What is if you're saying, all right, Hunt, I'm going to try to walk before I run. Where do I start here? And obviously the easy thing or, you know, the cliche thing is, is you should save 30 percent of your income. But that doesn't give anyone anywhere to walk. Right. If you're spending 110 percent of what you make to all of a sudden flip the switch on this and start saving 30 percent of what you make. It's going to be pretty hard. So what I'd like to do is I like to kind of explain to my clients, just like I do on their business of, you know, let's set something easy. Let's set something that's repeatable and let's start building habits here. So every single week, I want to start setting something aside and I want it to be so small, even so small where you say this seems kind of silly to save this little. But habits are formed by doing the same thing over and over. And so if you start and you say, all right, I'm going to save $1,000 every single week. First Monday goes fine. Second Monday, it's delayed by a day, maybe two days, maybe three days. After three days, you know what? You'll pick it up next week. And what ends up happening? 
it stops. Maybe do it once, maybe do it five times, but you're never building a habit here. So instead of trying to do something large like a thousand, I'm going to do 50 bucks, even 20 bucks. Every single Monday, I'm going to start doing 20 bucks into a savings account. I bet you, you will never notice it. Now, after week 10, if you say, man, I really don't even notice anything. All right, I'm going to bump it up to 50. I'm going to bump it up to 75. I'm going to bump it up to 100. And now what you're going to do is you're already creating that habit. So every single week, you're going to start creating that. And also when you have that habit, as it gets bigger, there might be some planning because you might then say to yourself on week 30 or 35 of this, wow, I'm up to $200 a week. If I buy this right now, I'm not going to have that money that I need to transfer on Monday. I'm on a 25 week streak. I don't want to mess that up. So instead of going out and buying that new impact gun, I'm going to save. I don't need it right now. So this is the big thing, right? Delaying that gratification, saving money and shifting your mindset from being a consumer to a saver or an investor, because that is the magic bullet that everyone is looking for. No one likes working. We all do this because we're making money. Some of it, you have a passion as well, too. But imagine if you're paying to do this, you probably would no longer be a shop owner. And then also here, we also want to build a passive activity stream or passive income stream. You cannot get a passive investment if you don't have money to initially get into that unless you're going to create it yourself. And even if you're going to create it yourself, you still need time. If you're spending 80 hours in your shop, even if it's very profitable, how are you going to have any time to do something outside of it? Now, we've kind of tiptoed around and and we've talked a little bit about debt here, but I need to kind of speak on it, you know, just to kind of give the two schools of thoughts here. Because obviously, when anyone starts talks about budgeting, when anyone starts talking about fixing their ratio, part of your expenses is going to be your monthly payments on your debt, whether that's a mortgage, whether that's a car payment, whether that's a boat payment, it all comes out of what you make. On one flip side, you have the Dave Ramsey approach. And the Dave Ramsey approach is, nope, you cannot be trusted to have debt because you do not know how to select good debt and you get too much of it. So we are going to go 100% debt free. Pay off all your credit cards, pay off all your cars, pay for stuff in cash. Now, the other end of the spectrum would be someone like a real estate investor, where they are wrapping up every single buy that they have, refinancing that, pulling the cash out, and then getting the next deal. And they don't really care about debt, they care about cash flow. Now, for the most common Americans, the reason why the Dave Ramsey approach is so popular is because given those two options, obviously debt-free is going to be the easiest and the smartest move. You can leverage debt, and by leveraging debt, you are going to make more money, but obviously, just like anything, risk versus reward. If you have a lot of debt and things go south, then you could be filing bankruptcy, as a lot of real estate investors have when they've over-leveraged themselves. No one wants to file bankruptcy and lose all that you have and all that your family has. So a lot of people would pick the debt-free approach because they say, hunt. If I don't owe anyone anything, that I know everything that I have is mine, I have equity, and I have reserves. I might not be able to accumulate the kind of wealth, but the peace of mind is worth it to me. Now, in reality, what there is, is there's a happy medium between the two. And we need to start talking about smart debt. And smart debt does not only mean what you're buying, it means how much you're paying for that. Right. So there is some things that is always going to be a good idea to leverage debt if it makes sense. Case in point would be a mortgage. Hey, is depending on where you live, it's probably not realistic to think that you're ever going to be debt free without a mortgage from the start. Meaning, what are you going to do? You're going to wait until you can accumulate $400,000 to go out and buy a house? Probably not. So you're going to go out and get a mortgage. Now, does that mortgage make sense if you're paying 15%? Probably not. But what if you're paying less than 3%? 
And this is where a lot of people are stuck with right now, and we're not going to get into it today, but also the part of kind of the weird housing market that we have right now is current buyers are going out and they're looking at a house that they're probably going to be paying around 7% interest on. The person selling the house probably has a 3% or lower mortgage. And so it's still keeping prices up because home values are so are still pretty high because the volume is still low. Because if you have that house that you have a 3% mortgage on, if you want to buy a house and you're now going to be paying 7%, you're going to probably have to buy a house that's maybe half or you know two-thirds of the cost just to keep your monthly payment the same. Now, what does it mean by smart debt? And how do we figure that out? Or how do we make decisions on what kind of debt we're paying down or what kind of debt we take? So debt is all relative, just like a lot of things in finance. What I mean by that is how much are you paying for that debt and how much is that underlying asset accumulating or earning you? And for example, it'd be this. So if someone came to you and they said, hey, I will give you a loan for $100,000, but the loan is going to be at a 10% interest. Are you going to say yes or are you going to say no? Now, some of you might be making an answer right off the top of your head because you know what you would do with that money. Well, 10%, that means I'm going to be paying back, you know, $120,000 if I pay this back over seven years. No way, I'm never going to do that. I don't need that money. However, let's say that you are looking to buy a second location and $100,000 is what you need to buy that second location. For 10%, are you going to still say, no, I don't want to do that? No, you're probably saying yes. A little bit more on the expensive side in today's market, but not that far off. Now, why would you say yes in that situation? The reason that you would say yes in that situation is because, yes, you are paying 10% interest, but you know that even at 10% interest, you can still make money on that because a shop is going to give you a higher rate of return than what you're paying in debt. And this is a prime example of leveraging your money in a smart way. How much is the debt? How much are you going to use or how much are you going to earn from whatever you're using that cash to invest in or save in? And if your return is higher than what your cost is, then you're going to be making money every single month. The last example here when I'm talking about debt and interest is going to be the EIDL loan. It's the most common one that I get asked about. Well, Hunt, should I pay this back? Should I keep it? What should I do with this? The big thing now and you know, the shorter answer is unless you are financially secure, meaning there's no way that you would ever need to touch that money, we're still kind of in a weird spot with our economy and I would rather pay a little bit of a premium to keep that money to keep my options open. And even more so is the interest or the increase in interest rates has really rewarded people that are saving, right? It's rewarded people that are net savers or net investors versus net borrowers. Remember how I've talked about, you know, over the last three years, we saw the largest increase in wealth disparity. The reason is, is because people that were net investors or net savers have been investing their money over the last three years at very, very high interest rates. However, people that are net borrowers or net creditors they are borrowing money and an increasing interest rate every single year. So you can see over the last three years, the savers and the investors have just gotten richer while the borrowers or the people that are borrowing money or have payments are getting poorer and poorer by the day. So going back to the EIDL loan, we know that that loan is 3.75% interest. What I'm telling people right now is, hey, if you have the cash to do so and you don't think that you need it, then yeah, you can turn around and you can pay that off. However, because interest rates are higher right now, we actually do have a good bit of risk-free investments that can maybe completely offset that interest cost and maybe even make you some money. And what do I mean by that? 
So that is going to cost us, you know, if we're talking about $100, that's going to cost us $3.75 every single year to have that interest. Now, what if instead of paying that $100 back to the SBA, I turned around and said, you know what, I want to keep this money, but I don't want to pay $3.75. So instead of paying that back, I'm going to turn around, I'm going to put that SBA money into a money market account, right? An interest bearing savings account. So if that money gets me four and a half percent rate of return on my investment, that means at the end of the year, it's going to earn me $4.50. If that loan only cost me $3.75, that means I'm coming out 75 cents ahead or almost a percentage point. So that's the big thing in this market is, yes, interest rates are high, but that's a two way street. Interest rates are higher for borrowing and they're also higher for investing as well, too. And so if you can offset or completely eliminate the borrowing cost of the EIDL loan, then you might also be able to check all of these boxes. You're being smart with your cash, you're investing your money, and you also have a very good safety blanket here that, yes, you are paying money on for interest, but it's making you enough interest um, and interest income that is completely negating the cost of this. Right. And so this is kind of all of this in a nutshell of, you know, talking about smart debts, talking about making sure that your rates are not too high so that you can tread water so that you can have these reserves and you're not just bleeding yourself dry every single month. On the other end of the spectrum, you have something like a credit card. Right. And so the reason why I always say is you have to pay off a credit card or why it makes it so hard to kind of crawl out of a credit card debt hole is think about your interest rate at 25 percent. What kind of investments out there are going to be able to get you anywhere close to that? And there are a decent bit that can, but definitely not risk-free. If you find an investment that could give you a 30% rate of return, there's probably a great chance that there is a large percentage risk that that could be a loss or even a complete loss on that same investment. So you got to be very careful here. Biggest thing here to take away from this is we need to make sure that you're preserving your cash Make sure that you're spending within your means. Make sure that you're setting some money aside and start saving this, even if it's very small. And make sure that you're analyzing your debt and not biting off more than you can chew. Because, you know, as a what I feel like is a doomsday preacher that keeps on extending back my timeline here, we are in a tricky economic point in our life. You know, and the last thing I want to talk about is the last thing that I left, um, you know, the group with when I talked about this this weekend is... We are headed down a rocky path, and even the government themselves is estimating that we're going to have a downturn starting in the second quarter, which we're already in right now. And so the economy was up about two percentage points in the first quarter of 2023. The Federal Reserve expects us to be down by about 0.6 points by the end of the year. So if we're already ahead two points and they expect it to be in the red by the end of the year, what does that mean second, third and fourth quarter are going to look like? They're expecting losses for all three of those quarters, the worst of which being the second or the third quarter with a rebound in the fourth quarter. But we do not see a positive number until 2024. Now, these guys don't have a crystal ball either. Right. But they're also the people leading the fiscal policy here and leading the decisions. So even if they're thinking that, hey, we have dark times around the corner and you're sitting here saying nothing is going to get worse. Who do you think has done more research on this? And also, who do you think has more power to control the market? You or the Federal Reserve themselves? So even more of a reason to make sure that you're being financially responsible, making sure that you maybe are putting off purchases that you don't necessarily need right now. And that's business or personal. Think about to yourself, do I really need this right now? 
Or could I buy this in six months after I maybe have some more clarity or get some of these bills paid down? So be smart with your money. Live below your means. Maybe put off something that you don't need right now and save for tomorrow. And hopefully your short-term sacrifices will ensure long-term financial success for you and your family and people that you surround yourself as well, too. So hopefully you enjoyed this. Please share with friends. And if you have any questions, comments, or ideas for future episodes, please shoot me an email at podcast at parmelis.com. Just want to say thanks again for listening on the Aftermarket Radio Network. You can find all shows on aftermarketradionetwork.com and on your favorite podcast listening app. So thanks again for joining me on Business by the Numbers. Stay safe out there. And I will talk to you all next week. You've been listening to Business by the Numbers with Hunt Demarest on the Aftermarket Radio Network. Follow Hunt on your favorite podcast listening app. Let him know what you'd like him to cover. His email is in the show notes. Hunt is all for advancing the aftermarket.